Welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where we talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. I'm Landon. Oh no, we mix that up. My bad. <laughs> we are you. <laughs> I did. Okay, let's go back. All right. Welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where we talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. I'm Glenn Roy. And I'm Lanvel. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up. <laughs> You're late for that one. <laughs> All right, yeah. Go, go, that's How are you, my dear? I am good. I've had a great week. Um, well, I've had a great past week. You know what I'm talking about. I've had a great past week. Um, one of the major things, which actually is what we'll be talking about today, um, I was able to accomplish that. Um, and I kind of felt good. Um, I've been to a lot of workshops, but I think maybe personally because I organized this one. Well, let me tell the people then what we're talking about. So um, Equality for All Foundation Jamaica, for the first time, I think it's the first time ever, um, our guests can confirm, um, we've offered six modules over two days um, under the continuing education units um, for mental health practitioners, for counseling and clinical psychologists. And it was good to kind of see um, the response we got one from persons who signed up and just the general engagement and willingness to learn, um, willingness to unlearn um, from the practitioners. So it was very good. They have a self-land, but you know, when we did old mental health hurricane, they come up. It's almost it's almost a year to the day. To, so tomorrow, actually, so tomorrow we need to make a post. Tomorrow is actually the first uh, my work anniversary. Oh, you was the right If I want to make it get right, look at my room, boy. They have a self-land, man. How have you been? Oh, I mean, hmm. every time people ask me this question, I really have to stop and think. Come I take stock a lot more of myself now. Come I try to prove to you, and then say, me into the mental health something, right? Come and say, will it start off rocky? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the week took a, last week took a very interesting turn. Um, but in the end, I think it ended very well. Um, and so I think overall I'm good. I'm just trying to, I'm always just trying to keep everything under control I, in, in so much as just make, make sure things go according to plan. That kind of vibe, also my bike, but finally buy the one rug, because I, 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 I look for one rug for the horse for quite some time now. I'm finally <laughs> find the right rug for going to ambiance and the feng shui. Um, the living room and trust me the room made a difference the place just feel full in a feeling empty like one time and I well maybe I get old because my own goods really excited <laughs> these days so that's what it's up I bought a nice little piece in Fontana as well and because 
the last time when I'm friend them come on me, yeah, I the you know, say, find a little structure, not even a way, yeah. but you know the structure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they have ass out of things funny, but they have one bag of spirit back to my ass out of something funny, right? And one of my friend named Christina, they call it out, come on me, yeah, I separate the empty one them from the full one them, I'm saying that, I this. <laughs> So I got me a nice little decor item at Fontana to start setting it up how I want it to look. And I thought, please can't look like saying somebody sensible live there. But exactly. you come to come with people in a while, right? But Elton tell me, say my brother, so that so when anytime I need to move, you just make Elton come and put it back in a sparkling tin or whatever. So that's <laughs> a little paintings of my nice welcomes. And the place feel a whole very nice. So yeah, them something that excite me more these days. That is good. Home sweet home. <laughs> okay, so you can introduce our guest. Okay, so um, as I would have said before, um, we did last week we did um, some work with counseling and clinical psychologists around LGBT mental health. Um, and actually, this Sunday, October 10, will be World Mental Health Day. Um, so I thought it would be fitting to kind of focus on LGBT mental health and the work that we as an organization, um, Equality, we've been doing. So our guest today is Dr. Kai Morgan. Um, she is a registered clinical psychologist and also the president of the Jamaica Psychology Society. Hi, Dr. Morgan. Greetings, greetings to you both. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Give thanks. Happy to be here. So thank you for joining us. Um, Mega asked one question, and as Medit said before we start recording, it's gonna be Landville show, and they're gonna be the backup dancer, right? (laughs) (laughs) Make sure Um, you dance the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) My one question is because I mean. Landville is talking, talked about the um, the work that you did in terms of the training sessions or the capacity building sessions for clinical psychologists uh, and counseling psychologists, but the work that you've been doing with us has spanned almost a year, you know, almost as long as Landville has been yes. as well. And I guess for me, the, the, the primary question is like, why? You know, why were you interested in, in doing this kind of work um, with mm-hmm. us? Mm-hmm. So, so I think generally I am interested in serving, I think, what would I say, vulnerable communities, you know, generally. So I'm involved in work with the deaf community, with the blind and visually impaired community, with, you know, with, with a number of different special needs um, generally. And I think as a psychologist, this is where like our, like, well, certainly for me, you know, my kind of pull, you know, my pull, my, my, like when I see things going on or I see that people are underserved or there's an issue in the, the, this is where kind of my my heart, if you will, kind of goes to, you know. So when I saw that first, that call, because I have been working with the LGBTQ community and with um, and with JFLAG from way back in the day on different projects, on working with staff, on, you know, different things. And um, and so this opportunity came up and I saw it and I was um, interested in getting involved. And it really has been a really good experience. I was telling the workshop participants last week 
that um that very a lot of times when we do research for example or like assessment because that's the first thing that we did, did this rapid assessment of the community members and their needs and of the mental health practitioners and all of that and um, a lot of times you do things and then it just sit down you know and then you just nothing don't happen afterwards and it it has been like a role <laughs> with equality for all you know so we did that assessment and then right away it was like okay we need to follow up on the assessment and do this we need to follow up on do that and that and it has been and that has been really really refreshing and really good um to experience you know in my in my work so it really has been great so i i i want to 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 speak about the assessment that we did um but before we do that i want to, to get an idea in general um because People in general um, face mental health issues. Mm -hmm. um, some people might ask, why do we need to kind of focus specifically on LGBT mental health? Right, right. So, so that's a great question, you know, and the word double jeopardy comes to mind, you know? So, so of course, everybody experiences some kind of mental health thing and everybody has the ca capacity or the vulnerability to you know experiencing mental health issues but there are groups and the lgbt group um, community is one of those groups that when you have this so as lgbt as part of the community you already have um issues that social issues that you're dealing with, you know, so exclusion, isolation, violence, you know, all these different things, lack of understanding, that's already there on the, on the, so you're already dealing with that. And then you're going to add on to it now that the mental health issues that everybody faces, you know, so it's the two things that make this double jeopardy, you know, so there are the two things that these groups and these communities and so on are grappling with that makes their lives just that much harder. You know, so so that is um, the importance of focusing on mental health in this community. Okay, uh, I want to ask now back to the the study that we would have commissioned um, last year. We finished in um, February of um, this year. Mm -hmm. um, just some of the findings from the from the practitioners, because um, I know we spoke to over 200 um, practitioners, so counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, um, right. and just some of the, the, the main findings that we would have gotten from um, doing that study. Okay, so, so one of the things um, that stands out to me, I'm going to pull it up so that I don't miss anything, right? But... Um, but I think one of the things that stand out is that um, even though people, a couple of things, people were more familiar, the, the practitioners were more familiar with the LGB part of the LGBT, right? So they understood some of those issues. They understood um, that there are, there are certain needs and so on, but that they, a lot of people were also less understanding and less probably willing to understand the transgender community, right? And then we also saw as well that even though these, these practitioners understood, quite a number of them were not willing to, or open, right, to, to training, right? To, to the training or felt like they needed training. And then the other piece to that is that they felt, um, 
when they were asked, because, you know, we're trying to create this friendly list, right, of service providers so that the community has a, a, a clear understanding of who is comfortable, who we can go with, go to that would be comfortable, that would be open, that would be understanding. And, um, and a number of people, even though they were, they themselves had, you know, had felt like they were open to serving the community, did not want to put their names on the list, right? Because they were not, for, for two main reasons. One of them was they, they were either attached to like an agency or a, a public, usually a public health system or something like that. And they didn't feel like they needed to, or they could just put down that name, you know, without permission, because they kind of knew that the agency itself may not support you know, that kind of um, open statement and um, and some just for their own comfort level, just some of them would have said just generally, well, I'm not comfortable putting my name out there um, being attached like that to the community. So, so those are the things, those are some of the main things that I remember um, that really struck, really struck me. So I have a question. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about kind of understanding from your perspective, whether it is it came up in some of the conversations you had when you were doing the study or just generally. Um, What would account for why, one, so many people would have or would not have been so familiar with like LGB, sexual orientation kind of issue, Mm -hmm. but not as aware of trans issues? Um, Is it something that's touched? Um, in their different training courses? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, well, not at all, Glenroy, right? This is across the board, whether how interested you are, were or not, this is not something that comes up in our training at all. You know, I, I finished my training back in 2001 and I didn't have that training. I studied in the U.S., Right. So um, I didn't have that training. So it's not a common thing at all to to discuss LGBTQ issues in in training programs. Maybe more now. You may find some more now in the um, in the other in other countries, but certainly not in our and not in a lot of the mainstream. I think it's coming in now. You know what I mean? Into into some of the language of when we're talking about cultural diversity and the importance of not just cultural cultural diversity, but diversity and inclusion in general. You're starting to hear that more in all the forum around, you know, in psychology and, and everything. But certainly more most practitioners to date, I would say, don't have this kind of training, you know? So then, um, just as a follow-up to that, why did you think Because that some of them already felt that they knew enough then mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and didn't, didn't see another training as necessary? Because I remember some of that coming out of... Right, yes. right. Yeah, I think I think they don't see. So that question, there was a question around special needs. Do you think that um, the needs of the community are different or special or they, you know, need special attention or and I don't think that that's what the the, the practitioner community, the, the mental health practitioners really feel like there's anything special to this. Do you understand what I mean? So I think that's some, that, that, you know, okay, yes, this issue is here, but, you know, I know how to treat depression, so I can treat depression in in anyone, you know? So I think that that is part of what was coming out. Okay, excellent. I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, I think for me, um, and a good thing that, as I said, came out of the workshop was the kind of willingness to engage, the willingness to learn and to unlearn um, some of the things that, well, for, for the, from the psychologists, some of the things that they would have learned um, from the, the community. Um, what what does and we, we we spoke we spoke about this somewhat um, in the the training, um, but in general, what what do you think culturally relevant or appropriate uh, mental health services look like um, for the the LGBT community or what it should look like? Mm-hmm. So first, let me say because you you mentioned it in the introduction, and you're you're absolutely correct. And to, up to my knowledge, there's no training that has occurred for practitioners, you know, up until last week, right? Um, so and yes, they have been very willing. Even those that are there, they were in a learning space. They were willing to unlearn all of that, you know. Um, and then wait, repeat your question. Now I forgot your question. <laughs> I wanted to know what um, culturally appropriate or culturally relevant training Uh, would look like um, for the LGBT community or should look like Right. Okay. So so the the services really should look like um, first of all that you you at least have an open space. You know, we said several times in the in the workshop that it's okay not to know and it's okay to ask. (laughs) You know, it's okay to ask. The assumptions is what it's okay even to make a mistake. Right. So we're looking at a person that really is open to understanding what different ideologies, what different um, what different feelings or different identities, you know, are there and, and, and what they should understand. And really, this, this should be honestly the classic definition of what you're doing as a psychologist, because it doesn't matter who walks in the door. Right. You should be able to to have that kind of open space for that person, you know. But of course, we are human beings. Right. And we're human beings with biases and with um, with set paradigms that we've understood from birth till now that we are trying to kind of that we have to really focus on in order to switch in order to switch the paradigm or open up the scheme and understand a little better what is really happening, you know, and how to really understand. So having, um, so having that kind of mindset is critical. So we talked also in the workshop about trying to, to indicate, you know, to, to members of the community in general or in general in your practice space to include things that would help people to understand that, oh, wait, you know, maybe as they walk in, they're able to see, oh, this person is, you know, friendly, you know, this person is open or things on your intake sheet, you know, things that indicate not just male, female, but that you have um, you have a, a little bit more open-ended kind of space to answer those questions, you know, um, that will kind of give you that indication or or having something in your practice if you are if you're comfortable, because that's another thing we had to explore. You know, how do different how do people feel about the different things that would make them make them known, make it known that they're open, you know, that they're open to serving the community. So we want that mindset, we want that open kind of mindset we want and we see it sometimes in some of these little things that are around the space or you know on your intake or the statement that might say you know we do not discriminate and then make the whole list you know race gender whatever you know all the different things orientation etc little things like that 
So I have a, I have a, I have a question. Um, um, well, two. The first is, um, why do you think it took so long um, for this kind of engagement to happen with um, like the community of mental health practitioners? Um, I mean, 20, 2020, 2021 is um, a bit, you know, it, it's a bit late in the game if you think about it. Um, we're talking about, about providing services or tailored services to a community that I, I think Jamaica has known about for quite some time. So I would love to know why you think it took so long. And then the next question would be around, you know, what were some of the interesting findings coming out of like the community assessment, for example? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I do think, you know, even though, as you're saying, you know, it's 2021 and it seems ancient that, oh my God, I'm just getting into the game. This is the first training workshop ever, right? Um, is that, is really around the taboos around uh, around um, sexual orientation and, and gender issues and so on in our space, in our Jamaican space, you know? I mean, we know we've had, you know, regaled many, many stories around how homophobic we are and these kinds of things. And I think it's some of that stuff. So I think that we have not been able to engage um, openly and talk openly, right? And was one of the things that I loved about how the workshop went because, you know, everybody was not jumping out like, yeah, I will, you know, do everything, but they were willing to address the fact that, you know what, I've realized that I have some implicit bias around these issues. You know, I have some of it here. I may be open to this level, but you know, I know I still have to tackle this one and tackle this one and that kind of thing. So, so we are still working through um, a lot of this. So that's why we are way behind. <laughs> We're way behind, you know, way behind even some other Caribbean islands, really, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then the, the, the other question is around like the community assessment. Um, right. What did you find interesting there? Like kind of when you're looking at community uh, members of the LGBT community's experience with mm-hmm. services. Right. So, so what it really did for me in that piece is kind of cemented what you kind of thought, you know what I mean? <laughs> because it really did show that the, the community is struggling with their mental health issues, you know, and that the rates that we were seeing were higher than than general, the general population, right? So, and again, it goes back to that double jeopardy that I spoke about before. So because of all the things, imagine so in some cases, we have some members of the community that are dealing with isolation from their families because of their orientation and their gender. And, um, and then we have on top of that, now, or that even leading into you know, mental health issues are waking up, if you will, mental health issues, you know. So we're seeing, we heard a lot of that. We heard a lot of the struggle and not only that, but then what was really despairing really was the access to mental health care, you know, because a lot, quite a number, um, let's see if I can find the percentage, were not accessing mental health care or didn't feel comfortable. And a lot of the reasons why they were, 
feeling like that was the, the number one reason, if I remember correctly, is that they just not sure if the, if the space is safe. They're not sure if they can reach out to somebody and, and feel comfortable expressing that this is who they are and the person would be okay. What if they were judged, you know, and criticized about it and, um, and all of that. Some had had negative experiences, actually, you know, um, and there were some definitely who had great experiences and said, you know, my therapist is the best and, you know, and all of this definitely had on those sides. But we certainly had um, a higher number that had not accessed healthcare at all, mental health care at all, you know, and then some of their fears were around were around that. Those are the things I think that really, um, really really struck me and that was whether it was the questionnaire or whether it was the the focus groups you know that it was a similar similar themes that were that were coming out mm-hmm. uh, i i want to ask um dr morgan um i know even in the the handbook that we created would have given suggestions of how practitioners can make their space safe but even before um, LGBT persons can reach to the space, you spoke about persons who would have, who would have had one bad experiences or who just be, maybe um, their, their notion of what it would look like would not want to enter the space. I know we have a list um, of practitioners who we can um, give to the community, but how do we go about, um, in a sense, changing the perception that some LGBT persons have of mental health practitioners even before they even think of entering the space? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, that's a great question and something to kind of process because that would mean that they would have to feel comfortable from the outset that way there is for example knowing that boy there was a workshop 30 plus people were at this workshop trying to understand and trying to do better and improve themselves as practitioners that's one piece that might help them to kind of you know the list is is great as you said the list is that is by far um a great one and there were I, i think um also just more of these, you know, more of these for the practitioners, you know, for practitioners ways. It doesn't have to be um, the same format, but certainly understanding, you know, little tidbits about understanding and, and weaving it into, into our programs. So, you know, as you know, we had six students and I was really happy about that you know, six students. And so these six students, they're upcoming, you know, and we're going to, and we have to kind of have it trickle you know, trickling from that point coming up that we have to be discussing and including these these issues and these real vulnerable communities and all of the different, all these different things into programs, you know? So when people see it around, they kind of get more of a sense that, wait, more people than maybe I think are might be open to this because this is a part of the process, you know, a part of the learning process. Those are the things that come to my mind right now. Okay, so go ahead. Um, so I, I know you, you spoke about um, having the students there, and I was very happy when you called and told me that students will be coming there um, because they will be entering in the system and they would have had um, an appreciation um, of what we, they would have learned there. Um, how, in what way, I might be putting you on the spot here, in what way? Um, could Jam Psych um, 
has an organization, in a sense, facilitate more of these um, for the practitioners who are registered to the um, organization? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, no, you're not putting me on the spot. It's <laughs> it's it's been it's been part of our discussion um, in training sessions, for example. So we do offer quite a number of training sessions. Um, we call for we we call we ask our members. You know, what do you want? What are some things that you would need training in? But at the same time, I think that no matter what it is that we're doing. These are issues that can be infused into into training sessions, you know, so that people hear it a little bit more. And, you know, one of the things with psychology as well that can be a barrier and can kind of go to that question Glenroy was asking about why we take in so long is that is that a number of our programs in Jamaica are affiliated with religious organizations, right? So the the master's programs, right? So we have some schools that are are really theologically based and that is where the programs are housed, right? The clinical psych program is at UWE. That's non-denominational and all of that, right? But then we have other programs that some are, some aren't, right? So... I think that's also an, a, a kind of an issue. But from a jam site perspective, you know, all people from all all over, all different schools, et cetera, will come to to the training sessions. And it's it's important, I think, to infuse it. So, for example, we're talking about let's say we're talking about couples therapy. You know, we're talking about couples approaches to couples therapy and so on. I think that the LGBTQ issues and, and the, the the couples issues and so on need to just be naturally a part of that conversation. You know what I mean? In the part of that, in that curriculum, in that, you know, the development of that. So, um, so those are the ways that I think it's important to kind of infuse. And also we can have, we can, we are open to having different kinds of training sessions. So we can offer training sessions separate and apart from that, just on specifically you know, on the issues of the community. So I guess, so my question is kind of connected to that, especially since you talked about students being in there. And I, I didn't even, I didn't know that students were there. I'm really glad they were actually. And it makes sense because we made it short for the local food. Maybe to some people, very young, I'm not about to buy. But I don't know, the psychologist comes so young. Come here myself. Um, but no, um, I was wondering on the point of institutionalization, because I feel like when we talk about um, sustainably um, doing this kind of work, it, it was great that I think J5 was able to, you know, move some things around. And in mm-hmm. ways, COVID created that because, you know, savings in one area birthed this, the funding of this project um, mm. through our general donors. Um, and so, I mean, I'm sure they'd be more than happy when I'm doing the reporting to hear about the, the massive success that this has been. Um, but my question is institutionalization sounds like... Um, the more sustainable approach because yes. if that this, even if we do this for a time, let's say we do it for two, three years, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if we can do it ad infinitum just because mm-hmm. we're an organization. I was wondering from where you sit as a, you know, a part of JamSite, reading it, and as well as just in the field, um, how far down, down the road do you think 
um, any type of institutionalization of um, these kinds of issues and topics within just the general um, service training of service providers. Mm -hmm. This is, I agree with you 100%. I mean, the sustainability of it has to come through that institutional process. I completely agree. The, the good thing is that we are on like a big wave right now of diversity and inclusion. You know, equity, includes inclusion, diversity, all of these words, you know, we are, we've been hearing a lot in our, in our, um, in our industry, we've been talking a lot about it. So even we have, you know, Lanville, you might have been, I might have thrown it into somebody for the, the um, conference that is upcoming in November, the Caribbean Regional Conference of Psychology. And, um, and we're making the LGBTQ issues a central piece in there, you know, and specifically at a meeting this morning and specifically talking about the fact that the Caribbean doesn't discuss these issues enough, certainly not in the psychological realm, you know. So so the, the spaces are opening up for us to kind of talk more, do more, include in our teaching, in our, you know, in our lectures, kind of pushing a little bit more for people to be to be to be grappling with these issues more so i think it is um it's definitely going there and from and the fact that um because they called me about coming to the workshop for that for those students right the coordinator called me um and said you know can the students come and that's also in like um very enlightening right or very hopeful because she's coordinating the program and she knows she's like you know this is an important thing that they need to attend you know and and allow them to 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 come into the space so that so i think all those things are leading up to that piece um and we are happy to kind of do an active active work you know just to not let it flow organically sometimes was just to kind of push a little bit to say okay so how are we gonna we should have this infused here there etc oh that's that's very good to know because i i oftentimes worry about you know i feel like this is not specific to um lgbt work um, I think just in civil society generally, a lot of great programs run yes. for like a short period of time and then it just ends. Yes. Um, because, you know, that's just how civil society works. That, you know, so the funding shouldn't, but oftentimes does directly or indirectly dictate which programs yes. last. And the value of the program kind of stays with the, the people who are directly impacted. And there might be some trickle down. Um, but the, the level of the impact isn't there because it can't be sustained. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have a question about just ge general mental health um, related um, issues, but uh, I don't know if Landville um, had any questions. No, I, I wanted to switch to um, the conversation to um, to do like general like peer to peer support because um, mm -hmm. I know for 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 when we speak about um, mental health, um, just in general. The assumption is is that we're referring to mental ill health uh, when we're just referring to simple things, maybe right. the loss of a loved one, um, your relationship end, you feel a test, things mm -hmm. that affect your general mental health. 
Um, so for some persons, they don't necessarily need to see a professional. Um, and I wanted to, to talk about how community members, um, in a sense, can support um, each other um, through um, peer-to-peer support and what that, what that would look like for the community. Right. Um, yes, that's another thing that came up, actually, that, of course, you've kind of jumped on and decided to to expand that came through in the in the assessments is that quite a number of them, you know, if they'd never had access to mental health care, they were like, you know, what, what do you do? You know, when you're when you're feeling when you're feeling this way that they talk to their friends. Right. You know, so their friend is a definitely a big segue, you know, into how you can manage at least from a from an initial point of view or, you know, a point of origin, your, your mental health issues. So then came the peer support, um, you know, discussion. And so, like you said, Lanvel, there are a number of issues that just as friends, you can just sit down and you can process together and your response. So what we want it to look like is that this person is understanding and can be open, right, to what it is that is coming, you're, you're coming with to the table, can understand the do's and the don'ts. We've had to do that a lot with grief, for example, you know, because, you know, as Jamaicans, we, there's something, generally, I think, people say things that are not, they don't mean to hurt and they don't intentionally you know, want to hurt you when you're grieving, but they say things that actually do hurt people who are grieving very deeply sometimes, you know? And so, and that's just being unaware, right? So there's a big role for for, for like your peers to be aware, you know, of, okay, this is what this might mean. And also to be aware of, okay, when is this now beyond me and I need to help to get them some to get them some mental health support um, or some professional support or something like that, some kind of access. And so there's the role for for, for the, those peers then to not only understand what are the issues that are coming up to the table, but also to be kind of at least aware of what's out there in the community. You know, what can I what what where can I point these individuals? You know, where what can I say? Um, where can they go? What what are the what are the resources out there, you know, for them? So there's that role at least, you know. So so you're not going to be the therapist, as you said, but you might be walking them through some very, you know, as you said, it may be just a loss. It may be a loss of something. It may be transitioning from high school and you know, maybe you had to leave your home. It may be, you know, as you say, you fail a test, etc. How do we kind of support each other in those in those things? Actually, I'm really glad you both brought that up because um, I remember when we were coming up with the project idea, uh, I had that part was included about, you know, getting persons in the community aware of how to provide like direct support. Because um, I was thinking about, I was thinking about myself and me not necessarily being capable of always identifying someone's challenges mm-hmm. to support them through that. But then it just kind of clicked to me that in my other role as a host mother uh, mm-hmm. to members of the community, uh, and I love my children dearly, I am the de facto person. I get the first one. Yes, yes. My kids are going through anything. Um, mm-hmm. It is their relationships or housing situation, whatever it is, or their relationships with each other. So with the right. relationships with each other, I've been refereeing <laughs> these issues for years. And, and it just really clicked to me that something like this would definitely be useful because I think it's absolutely 
right? Like our first port of call is that friend, whether it is your bestie, with whoever that you want to just be there for you. And um, we're just not given the tools. Um, and I think it does connect. I do wonder um, to like that general point about how do we, um, I guess, as I mean, I'm also going back to like the EFAF side of things, but um, how do we start to get that conversation just generally about mental health rolling around more? Um, I feel like we're online, we're aware that it's a thing and we're aware that people have challenges, but I think that's where it stops. And I, and I love, you know, remind the girls that it's not enough to just be aware, right? That there has mm-hmm. to be more. Um, and, and I'm just wondering what, what has caused um, things to stop where they are and how can we um, address that as at both an organization and, and at an individual level? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a great point. And that's something that um, we definitely at Jamsite, we want to we want to get the the idea out there that this is just this just rolls on your tongue like everything else, you know, or we're going to school mental health, right? You know, whatever, you know, kind of thing. Um, so so one of the ways that we have been looking at really and we've been trying to advocate. We started a policy committee this year and we've been working on like uh, we worked on like a workplace wellness policy. And in that policy, we have included issues of um, LGBT, you know, so that and it's got a school wellness policy. One thing is language. Right. Because as you said, Landville earlier, you know, when we start to say mental health, all of a sudden people are just thinking about schizophrenia and illness and, you know, that kind of thing. When we're just talking about, whoa, whoa, getting up in the morning and feeling good right, kind of thing or or breathing or something. And um, and so it is. It's important, I think, to infuse. So we thought about the workplace and school because we can get enough people in those areas, you know, and if we have policy driving that then we have more we have more um people that really have to do it and then when you kind of get used to it it's kind of like seatbelt you know we never used to wear a seatbelt like 15 20 25 years ago and then it had to become it became you know we have to wear our seatbelts when we're driving and then you just start to do it like naturally you know even though you probably thinking oh, that I don't really want to wear the seatbelt, but I have to do it. And then it becomes, okay, all right. And then you kind of roll into it, you know? And so, and so those are the kinds of things we're thinking about and grappling with um, the language, you know, I think we, we're kind of trying to and tease it, t- toying with calling it like a, a mental, not not mental health, um, workplace happiness policy or something along those lines, you know, that it doesn't, that it's more, people more relate to it because who don't want to be happy, you know? So you, you're kind of relating that way instead of it making it, making it feel like it's some kind of, um, you know, mental illness. So language, I think, and, and broad policy change, you know? Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> um, but then I guess a follow-up is like, so from the side of just the general, like just your work um, generally in having that kind of discourse and shift on a national level, what has that been like? 
That has been slow. <laughs> that has been sometimes painful, right? Because um, because you know that things just don't move very quickly when we when we're talking about national, you know, those kind of words. There, they do move pretty slowly. So we are actually it's it's been it's a slow process. Um, a workplace wellness policy, a workplace mental health policy um, subcommittee was started back in, I think, about 2014 or 2015. And I sat on that committee and um, and then something happened. You know, things happen, right? Something happened and nothing happened, right? And then, um, you know, but it's something that's very close to me because I feel like, boy, we could get a lot of people in the workplace, you know, and I've tried to push for it, which is why we then started the policy committee and said, you know what, let's do the group groundwork let's help because they had started some groundwork definitely a lot of groundwork on it and uh, and said let us tweak and see you know it's about six years later now tweak and so on and and see if we can just kind of so we have the document here can we just push and even that is 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 has been slow you know slow so we don't expect um, i mean that has been that is a great big challenge because a lot of us in the field you know are you know bleeding hearts and we really want things to happen and we really want change and da 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 but record but part of that process is recognizing there's so much work to be done and that we have to kind of a lot of this comes in baby steps you know so so we have to kind of measure and 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 um and kind of titrate how we are what our expectations are sometimes while still pushing forward because we have to always advocate you know um but it has been a difficult process it's difficult in a in a in a lot of ways that's unfortunate no i was just gonna ask like have there been any wins but uh they can probably oh yeah because no i was just going to ask um since you have been um a, a psychologist what has if you could name one of the greatest um maybe accomplishment or one of the greatest steps um as it as it relates to lgbt mental health what would that be mm. wow what a question i hmm one of the greatest um, accomplishments of the community that I've seen that that's the question or well, that I have um, from a, from a, from a psychologist standpoint as in making advancements towards um, mental health care, uh, mental health services, what mm-hmm. would that be? Boy, I think that, um, boy, I would have to say that, that this endeavor is shaping up to be just that, you know, this for the past year is shaping up to be just that because the, the work that I've seen in the past and even the work that I've been involved in, in the past has not been, what's the word? I, I, I don't know if it's not been transformative in, in this way, you know what I mean? So, so I feel like it has been, you know, you're uh, helping out therapeutically, right? With individuals, different individuals. So it was more from that kind of a perspective, more than getting into the groundwork, you know, of like building the practitioners for this kind of work or building peer support so that people can, you know, so that the the arms can spread a little wider kind of thing. Um, I think this this has been big, you know, and I've really been impressed with with how it has been rolling out and and the 
the ideas coming from the project and the and the follow up and the and all of that. I think this is this is really big. A couple of the participants actually said the same thing to me, saying that you know. Um, I think they were interested in doing more and they were just like, you know, I don't think we've ever had anything like this before, you know, I'm just kind of reflecting on that. And I agree that I don't think there's ever been anything like this before so far. So from a psychological perspective, I really have to say that I think that this is big. Big up yourself, big up yourself. <laughs> I can't remember when the project right. Mm. And, and, and to hear you say it, all right, I'm going to get it together. <laughs> but it's, you know, you know, dramatics aside, it's, it, it's good to know because I feel like, I think sometimes when you work, when you do this kind of work, and as you very well know, um, you just keep going and going and going and going and you yes. fix this and then you do this and to kind of hear. But I mean, it really is something to see an idea move from paper to funding to implementing the impact, right? Um, yes. And I think it's good to hear that at the very least you've planted seeds um, in this field that we hope will continue to grow and blossom into something really um, amazing for years to come. Um, yes. So I'm just like really appreciative of um, one, your, your, your interest, um, mm -hmm. the ways in which I think you have kind of worked with Landville to expand um, the project and add different dimensions and layers to it that originally Javen and I did not conceptualize. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, as far as potentially scaling up, I mean, I, I do prioritize, I mean, not gonna lie, I, have, I prioritize <laughs> in terms yeah. of trying to make sure that different components of it get funded. So, for example, originally, I don't think the capacity building sessions were funded. Um, right. You know, land will drum one side and say, let's get this done. I'm going say, all right, I'm going to look at opportunity to come. And I, and I write it up in a lot of things because. It, it's, it's an unaddressed area, but it's such a critical one. And I know sitting there wondering how as an organization can just support that kind of push for addressing or making more accessible mental health services generally, not just for LGBT persons, even though, of course, that is a community that we serve mm -hmm. to help to put that effort in that area um, as best as we can, you know, just give it yes. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. And it really, it really has been. I have to big up Landville every time. I mean, Landville is on point, right? I mean, and if don't miss, right? And if don't, you know, everything I just in order and organize. I mean, it really, he's really fabulous. Really, really fabulous. <laughs> yes, I have reminded him several times. <laughs> Good. That, that, that I'm chaining him to a chair and he's not leaving. 
<laughs> Thank you very much, Dr. Morgan. I think my final, my final thing um, would be um, from your standpoint. I know, I know we've said a lot of things. We've spoken about institutionalization, um, expanding the project and stuff. But um, if you could give maybe like three things, what would you be like? What would be like the next step? Or what are the next things coming out of um, the CEUs that um, IFAF could do? Mm, that IFAF could do. Okay. Um, I think, um, let me see. I'm thinking about... Um, the because you know in the study in this rapid assessment we tried to include the general practitioners you know um a lot of times to friends and the reason we try to include them is because general practitioners sometimes are the point of entry a lot of times you know you go for you, you can't sleep you have headache whatever it is you know and you may go to your gp and if gps were more aware as well you know, more, uh, I mean, that is a harder population because we tried to get more of them, uh, more of them included as well. And we didn't get as many, you know, but they were there and they are. So it's a little bit, there's a little bit more resistance in that population, you know, but I think that that population, because we've, we've even done this under in general in mental health. This is an approach that has been, um, that has been tried with general practitioners, meaning that we general practitioners should be aware of mental health issues and, you know, and things like that, because a lot of them, as a matter of fact, the statistics show and the research shows that they prescribe more antidepressants. Right. For example. So they are they're out there doing it. So they will prescribe antidepressants and they will manage mental health issues to a point. And then sometimes at that point now they may refer to a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever. But they are managing they're out there managing a lot of mental health issues, you know as general practitioners should, you know, so up to a particular level. So I think that they are a good target source as well, because they may be getting a lot of, um, a lot of these, a lot of the community members, you know, and, and could, and could also move them to another level if they understood the issues or make certain recommendations or whatever, you know, because maybe even at that point, the members of the community are not expressing how they really feel, how they, what's the other layers that might be involved in why they're not sleeping good or why them, you know, why they're having a hard time at work or they're absent or whatever it might be, you know. So that's something I think about. Um, that's something, that's one. Um, of course, increased increased um, or more, I mean, capacity building, I think even just among mental health practitioners, there's so much, I think more, I mean, we touched a little teeny bit on the affirmative LGBTQ psychotherapy, you know, nearing the end of day two there. And it was, um, and so it's a whole theory, a whole therapy, you know, um, on its own that we don't, none of us, including myself, you know, have had any kind of training in, et cetera. What does it look like? What is it? A little bit more of that. So th that's something that I thought about as well while we were doing the workshops. Um, and um, what would be number three? Number three. 
And maybe, um, you know, what I found really, 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 really helpful during, and I was so glad that you were there to support Lanville and that Renee was there to support, you know, because I thought that actually for the practitioners, you know, and again, more familiar with LGB, right? But the T and hearing Renee speak, hearing her concerns, hearing her journey, you know, and hearing everything, I think that that really was a good, was an excellent piece to have in in the whole mix for them to connect with, you know, to, to really connect with. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know how I'm thinking that could map out, but I really thought that that was, um, that that was really important for people to hear and understand um, in the, in the wider community, you know, about the real lived experiences then of, of the members of the community. You know, I don't know that a lot of those things, you know, I know Transwave does, the, I know you have your videos and, and things like that, but I don't know if they're reaching, you know, to, 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 I don't know how far they're reaching. Let me put it that way. I don't know. I really don't. Um, but apart from my liaisons with you, I didn't see them apart from my, you know, now that I follow you on social media and all of these things, I can, I see these, but I don't normally see them, you know? So how can we get those kinds of lived experiences to others so that they can, they can really, can, when you hear people, you know, it's people, right? And that, that connects the empathy. It really helps, you know, I think. So I think those are my three. Mm. As, you, as you say that, I'm reminded that in the past, like when we do general work with, when we've done, because we haven't done any in a while, like just general trainings with um, healthcare workers that we've done in the past, we at, after a point started um, having a, a community panel always. Um, mm. sometimes it would be staff members sometimes it would be just members of the community that we took to the trainings with us and I, I always felt like rightfully as you kind of gestured to that, that that was also the moment in which a lot of the narratives and a lot of the stereotypes fell apart yes. um, and so it was good to, to hear that you know that still happened and I think whatever happens next because we have like persons as um, who we've trained um, as part of um, Outlaw JA to be able to talk about their experiences. Um, that having those persons as a resource were always ready to just show up. If, if even if we're yeah. not in the training, we can all yeah. have those persons show up and, and talk about their experiences and, and navigate um, carefully people's discomforts. Um, yeah, that does not, of course, you know, produce, reproduce any type of harm to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Um, well, I think for me, um, in, in, in kind of wrapping up, um, I just want to say um, thanks to Dr. Morgan, who I think maybe since November has been supporting us um, on this um, journey. Um, thanks to Glenroy um, and the team that selected <laughs> me um, for kind of having faith um, in me. Mental health has been something that is something dear to me. It's very personal um, from my own um, kind of, I wouldn't want to say struggle, 
um, but having had suicide ideation, had mm-hmm. suicide attempts, have, having friends um, close to me um, who live with um, bipolar disorder. So it can, it's something very personal to me. I understand uh, what it means to have um, a lived experience. I understand what it means to support individuals um, with a, a mental um, illness. Um, and it was when, when, when I kind of found out that this was a part, I was heavily invested in having this being a success because I know how difficult it is for heterosexual people in general to access uh, mental health um, services for different reasons. So with an added layer, with added layers for the LGBT community, I can understand how hard it is um, for them. Um, And yeah, I kind of grateful for where we are now and what the possibility um, that this can bring or will um, bring. Big up yourself, like you big up yourself, like work for your money, the work for your Thank you so much, um, Dr. Morgan, for just all your support throughout this entire process. And I, and I know there's more to come. I know there's more work. There are more components of this kind of first project. And I definitely think that this is something that um, we can show to our funders and our supporters that more of this needs to happen for as long as possible. So, yeah, I really appreciate you. And I also- Very welcome. Coming out on the Fish Tea podcast to kind of share, just chop it up and discuss and, um, we, we might have more to discuss in the future, so you know, longer have a speed dial. So, yeah, <laughs> the <podcast. laughs> but to our listeners, thank you once again for listening to the Fish Team podcast. You can always give us your feedback at Fish Team Podcast um, on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. We know Instagram and Facebook kind of dependent uh, right now. But it's supposed to come back up soon, but Twitter is still there. You can also send us your feedback at fishteampodcast at gmail.com. If you want any of the resources that we mentioned uh, for uh, mental health service providers, um, just to note that um, the most recent um, production of, or the most recent yeah, version of the Pride JA magazine publication, that's the word, of the Pride JA magazine has the full listing of persons who are willing to provide those services to members of the community. So you can always check that out, uh, the most recent issue, as well as there's also the Equality Youth Jamaica helpline that you can reach out to to um, access the services that JFLAG is connected to. And we do have a psychologist on retainer for persons who um, do need that kind of support um, as well. So, you know, we'll look at things in place with members of the community. There's a need to test, but I'm not too hectic, right? Kind of prioritize people who, you know, are in need first. But yeah. It's there, and the services and the support is there, and we hope to continue it in the future. Um, remember, we're still in a pandemic. I think we cannot come out of the third wave. I think I hope, I pray, um, but we're still there. So remember, social distance, mask up, wash your hands, sanitize. Are they gonna please take the vaccine? You know, make the whole one bag of that vaccine. That should be the no for AstraZeneca ever do. 
foot. Please not be going to take a vaccine, right? As I always say, why pick them before you put your name out? Let us stay here so even though the good doctor is here, I beg your pardon. Um, and as I always say, say sophisticated. Bye. Bye. <laughs>